Podcast One. Retired Australian Navy officer Anthony Richardson is responsible for one of the most successful pieces of fitness equipment to come out of Australia, which was inspired by the suspension system of a tank. (laughs) Oh, and one of his first clients was the Pentagon. It's a highly tactical episode 514 of the 11-year-old award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Yeah, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Timbo Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of seaworthy marketing. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You, infinitely more importantly, are a motivated business owner ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. Big episode today. We catch up with Torsion Bar founder Anthony Richardson, whose business is worth an impressive $7 million after just four years. This week's motivated listener heeded some sage marketing advice from my chat with Seth Godin and is absolutely smashing it. And I let you in on next week's guest, a social influencer who recently closed an incredibly successful business. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. After eight years in the Australian Navy, today's guest, Anthony Richardson, took a gap year to explore new things. During that time, he ran boot camps in which the major piece of equipment were those dirty old metal bars called torsion bars that come from the suspension system of all-terrain vehicles. (laughs) Don't you love it? His clients loved them so much, he decided to make a few tweaks, give them a bit of a makeover, and cleverly turn them into a fancy brand. In 2015, he successfully trialled them on three Royal Australian Navy vessels, and the rest, as they say, is history. Anthony's torsion bars are now for sale in five countries, and his business was recently valued at $7 million, with users ranging from physiotherapists to the military. In fact, the Pentagon. And now, thanks to COVID-19, he can't keep up with the demand as more and more of us work out at home. Now, pen and paper at the ready team as Anthony shares how he got the product to market, how he got the Pentagon as a client, what marketing's working best for him, and why he's decided to double down on one particular niche. I started off by asking him what selection in the Navy's special forces involved. Uh, a lot of sweat, pretty much. Um, yeah, it was very tough. It was a lot of planning. Uh, a lot of people think that it is obviously physically demanding, which it is, no doubt. But there's a, there's a huge mental aspect to it as well. For an example, like you, anybody can do uh, a, a workout, but not knowing when that workout's going to end, that's the mental side of it. Uh, yeah, it was, it was absolutely tough. It was, it was good fun though. I'm guessing um, being in the special forces doesn't mean you just get to do crazy workouts, but you actually go. What do you do? Go undercover in the night, in the dark of night, with camo gear on, and I don't no, know. No, so actually, um, I didn't. I didn't make it into the special forces. I did the selection for it. Um, okay. And I, I passed the selection, um, and then actually decided to to pull the pin. 
uh, I decided to uh, to go back to the Navy and take a year off from military altogether, pretty much. Uh, I joined the Navy straight out of school at 18, very kind of gung-ho and excited. And I didn't do a gap year. Uh, I didn't go to university. Uh, I just decided to, to kind of jump on that. Uh, hmm. And then I got kind of 10 years in, I decided, hey, I might want to go see what Europe's like. I might take a gap year, I might take a bit of a break and, um, and explore. So yeah, I think that two weeks that I had doing the special forces uh, selection um, really made me realize that and kind of put a lot of priorities back into perspective. Awesome. So Anthony, you take a gap year, you get a bit of travel out of your system and then you decide to start a business, some kind of personal training business. Yeah, I finished up the, the selection and, and decided take a gap year, kind of go explore Europe for a little bit. That was the plan. had it all planned out. And uh, I had a friend of mine say, hey, why don't you run a boot camp on the side? I wasn't qualified. So I did a partnership with a friend who had his his Cert 3 and 4 in fitness. Um, We started that little business. It was very much a a hobby that was making money more than a business, to be honest. And we kind of got a a few of the locals involved, a couple of small businesses. And then we started training some, the team at Diageo. um, And they were were great guys. I'm still mates with them now, which was really good. Sorry, what were they? Uh, Diageo, the uh, the alcohol company. Essentially, they um, uh, in North Sydney, they're in McMahon's Point. So okay, they, yeah, them as a client. As a client, yeah, yeah that's pretty exactly. cool. Little it side hustle, and you're getting a, a decent so, sized client. Yeah, exactly. So, so, it so works is this really at, well. is, is this at the point where you go, you know what, torsion bars would be really good here. Hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yep. so what is a torsion bar, and where did the idea for them come from? Sure. So essentially, torsion bars, they're from automotive industry. Um, so, so they're there as a, as a style of suspension for uh, four-wheel drives, for vehicles, essentially. Mm. But the armoured personnel carriers in the army, they would always break. And the unserviceable ones would be used as makeshift barbells for PT. So I just took that concept of just having a heavy bar rather than an empty bar that you add weight to for ease of transportation, ease of use, and just essentially just commercialise that idea that's been in the army for a very long time. So we did that for the boot camp. It was easy. They could fit in my car. It was brilliant. And then that took off. So I didn't actually end up taking that gap year because I was too busy running that business and, and running through the prototypes, doing all the R&D. So, wow. Yeah. This is from a guy who left school, joined the Navy, and has had no business experience and has no, all of a sudden no. tripped across this idea of torsion bars. So just to be clear, because this is an audio program, this is a long bar that essentially, well, they look to me to be, what, a metre long? Or they vary depending on their weight. Plus they, or minus they, kind of 200 mil. Yep. Okay. They, don't, they, they replace a dumbbell. They have no weights at the end. Just the whole bar is heavy and they like come in like 12 kilogram, 15 kilogram. What's the heaviest torsion bar? Yeah, correct. Uh, 20, 20 kilos. Right. Yep. Okay, we get a lot, lot of requests for heavier ones, but uh, until somebody actually picks them up and then what they realize how heavy they are. So essentially, you can do the single arm exercises. Um, so as you said, replacing a dumbbell or more often than not, we're replacing uh, barbells and exercise bars that they use mm-hmm. generally in um, more indoor fitness studios where the usability and the whole experience of the user in the class has to be paused because they've got to add or remove weight from the bar. So in this instance, right. it's much quicker. You grab Just two bars. Another 100%. one, a different a light one, heavy one, you're good to go. You know what I love about this is that you have taken something that is rough, I'm guessing rusty, flaky, probably a little bit unhygienic yeah. <laughs> in a torsion bar from a vehicle and you're actually turning it into a brand. You're adding value by making it look nice, logo on it, colouring, I don't know, all that kind of stuff. Yes. And, yep. you know, you, you're adding value and turning it into a brand. Describe that moment where you thought, hey, there's a business here. This is where I'm going. 
That was that was definitely uh, a Tuesday morning. I remember actually pretty clearly where there were two other boot camps in the same area. I would call them competitors until they became clients. Uh, and they were asking, hey, where did you get that bar from? And I'm like, oh, I made it. And uh, they're like, oh, that's pretty good. And that's when the penny dropped. I'm like, oh, if they want it, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other people that are having the same uh, issues with me in transportation and, and all that kind of stuff with the current equipment I had. So I made them some some product as well. Just had a, a garage in Kirribilli there that I used to operate and everything out of, manufacture the works. And then I made some for them and then I kind of started to build a website and it, the boot camp kind of just didn't happen anymore. I, I gave the guys who were running the boot camp all the equipment that I had, the, the dumbbells, um, the, the kettlebells, the torsion bars, everything. Uh, and that's actually still running to this day, uh, which is pretty cool. That was from 2014. You're right. um, so those guys still get together and run a boot camp every, awesome. uh, or at least an exercise session anyway, uh, every, every couple of days. But yeah, that's you, definitely when it happened. You, I love the fact that you remember it being a Tuesday. I was waiting for yeah. a time of day, but <laughs> thank you for that. 8.22. No, I'm not. <laughs> right. yeah. You then have a relatively quick amount of success. That first year, as you say, you're spending a lot of R&D and like, just, just describe that first year of getting the idea to market and off the ground. Yeah, definitely. The, um, so obviously moving from a garage was quite difficult. Um, the orders started to increase. Obviously coming from Navy, I knew who to target within the Navy to get that client, um, that, that customer. So that was that was relatively simple in terms of contact, but in terms of actually getting the, the line across where we actually can deliver the product to these to the establishments um, and the vessels, when, when Navy and Army and Air Force, that was difficult. It took a long time. Uh, so just, 18 just to months. be clear there... You, one of your first clients is the Navy, is the Australian Navy, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was. Yeah, well done. You yeah. should, you know, shoot yeah. for the stars. Yeah, um, yeah why not? <laughs> uh, relatively simple because you were in the Navy and meant you knew the procurement person or why was it simple? That sounds like a really hard client to get to me. It was. Um, and if we look at the Navy from, I guess, from an outsider's perspective, you're looking at some, like a massive organisation and then you've got a certain levels of, of um, procurement. Obviously, you need to, first they need to tender, the tender needs to be open, you need to tender for it, you need to uh, obviously apply for it, you need to go through that process. But this was different. Oh, sorry, exactly, and it takes a long time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, so it's a huge process, but we didn't have to do that because we weren't going to apply for a huge tender where we supplied all fitness equipment to the military. All we were doing was supplying one product as essentially a subcontractor to the prime contractors. So that was much easier. And anybody listening who's wanting to do that, that's what I'd recommend. Don't try Just and let's go, go for the Let's big understand fish. that because this is yep. a, here is a strategy to get a Absolutely. big government client. So you are not tendering. That's too no. hard and long and ex- drawn out and fraught with danger. 100%. You have found someone who's already got a contract with the Navy. You have subcontracted to them. And they clip the ticket along the way and you've all of a sudden got yourself a decent-sized client. Correct. I just needed to create the demand from the client. So then they went to the contractor, the Prime, and said, we need this. And we were the only ones that made that. So it was good. Is that that Navy talk? The Prime? The Prime. It's actually Optimus Prime. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So that was the easy part. You said the hard part was what in year one? Uh, was getting it added to that tender list. So obviously that list has a mm. huge amount of equipment on it and it didn't have torsion bars. Mm. So creating the demand from the people that I did know um, and then going into the people who essentially populated that list and getting mm. that list done, that took about 18 months. Um, so then anybody who did get that prime contract knew what a torsion bar was, they'd put it into Google and we'd pop up. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The R&D that you've gone through, so at some point you've moved from doing this in your backyard, chopping up bits of steel and, you know, 
making them look fancy to actually, what, did you outsource? Did you have to go overseas? Did you find a local manufacturer? We did. We, we've actually moved manufacturers a, a few times now in China, um, all manufacturing done in China. Uh, we tried to do it here. We wanted to scale the current manufacturing we had in, in that little Kirribilli garage. It just wasn't wasn't feasible. We were looking at kind of $300 for a product that probably should cost about 100 We just couldn't do it as, as much as we tried. So we did go overseas, did numerous trips over there, kind of sitting in the warehouse for 10 days, just making sure that what was coming off that production line was going to meet quality control. Uh, and, and was going to look good and actually stand the test of time. And then that took a lot of process. It's a simple product. It's a steel yeah, bar, solid steel. It's got a coating on it and two end caps. But the amount of effort that goes into researching and then developing those end caps so they don't crack, so they don't split, they, they don't kind of get too hot in certain temperatures. Like you've got to remember we're going from winter in Canberra in minus five where they get too hard and if you drop it on concrete, it's going to crack to the back of a Navy deck on a ship in the Middle East where you've got kind of direct sunlight, 80 degrees. Um, so little things like that was where we, we really had to understand what kind of materials we could use, but then also were those materials recyclable. Um, we didn't want to create thousands and thousands of new plastic products as well. Um, we wanted to recycle where we could. And then it kind of came into the actual coating, making sure that if it was on the back deck of a ship for six months, uh, it wasn't going to rust like everything else on the ship making sure that those caps were essentially the only thing that you would change out if you did make that investment in a torsion bar. So, so during this process, Anthony, the first 12 to 18 months, you, you're playing around, getting the product right. You've got the Navy as a client, which is awesome. I imagine you are also, because in year two, you do you, your business gets valued at $7 million. That's yeah, not just yeah. off the back of having the Navy as a client. Who else are you marketing to and how are you doing that? We actually did a lot of B2C sales. And if you're looking at a product like us, yeah. Online? Online, yeah, exactly. Um, And a lot of overseas sales as well. So we we worked really well uh, in Australia. We got the Navy. That built out a lot of credibility around our product and then sharing that credibility with overseas markets. I had a lot of contacts in the US military as well. So that was an easy stepping stone. So I went there and in 2017, 2018, I believe it was, no, what do you mean 2017, around July? Uh, I went Tuesday the, or was it Tuesday or Wednesday? I can't remember this one. Okay. I'm sorry to let you down, but I got no yeah, idea. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, then I went to uh, I went to Washington and actually did a, a workout, uh, a demonstration workout at the Pentagon, um, which was really cool. <laughs> I was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> oh, awesome. you know, how does that happen? How do you, I, I get you've got the, Navy, the Australian Navy as a, as a client. You get an introduction to the America, the US Navy and yep. they say, listen, Champ, hop on a plane, we'll meet you at the Pentagon and you can take a few of the boys through a workout. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, kind of. Um, I had a, had a contact over there and I was just, I was reaching out for, for quite a while, just wondering, taking what I knew of the Australian military and how, how items were procured and purchased and then understanding how that would work in the US and then who would be the best point of contact. And anyway, I landed on, on a guy I used to work with and, and he had a contact at the Pentagon and it, it just worked. So I went in there and I ran a, ran a workout for about 35 people and it was great. And then I went down to uh, Norfolk Navy Base, which was obviously down Norfolk. Biggest um, Navy base in the world. It's massive, yeah. It's, it's huge, about 100,000 active personnel. It was, yeah, it was so many ships. And that was great. Did a workout down there. And yeah, it worked brilliantly. Tell us about, just rewinding, tell us about going to the Pentagon. What's that look like? A lot of security um, yeah. and a lot of rings. Like even going into the car park, you've got a security rings? guy at the car park. Um, so What's essentially almost like, like rings. Imagine like a, a dartboard where the bullseye is the center and, and in every ring that you go in, it's another level of security. You may have access to a certain part of the Pentagon, but if you don't have that inner 
circle, then you won't go into that inner circle. So making sure that everything is is obviously documented and stuff as you progress into the building um, it was huge. It was, it was massive. Everywhere you looked, there was people. It was amazing. But the gym was very cool. So no, obviously being a military establishment as it is, if it gets locked down, you still need to go for a run. So this huge running circuit inside and um, yeah, the gym was second to none. It was amazing. How did the business, how did you convert that into business? All very well running uh, some sessions with the torsion bars at the Pentagon and down at Norfolk Navy Base. How did you then, who do you ask for the business or did they go, hey, how do we get these? So to be honest, it's still ongoing. The military as an organization isn't, if you get the military, if you get the Navy, you don't get all of the Navy. It's all quite separate. Um, So it's still involved in pitching the product, demonstrating the product to each separate area of the Navy, each separate establishment. So in those establishments, they they purchased the products and it worked. And then when people would go there to train, they would see them and it would kind of just filter through the rest of the bases. So it worked like that. Otherwise, we didn't have the the manpower or the resources to to go through and do essentially a roadshow mm. throughout the states. We did a small one, but not a, not a massive one. I guess it's the ty- the torsion bar is the type of product that would get talked about, especially amongst military people, because they're probably up until now they've just been pulling them out of what do you call them? Some kind of vehicle, all terrain vehicle, or yeah, the, the armored personnel carriers. armored personnel. Yeah. So they're like, yep. hey, look at this! Some blokes yep. <laughs> actually gone to the effort of making these things look nice. Yeah, pretty much. So they're yeah. getting they're getting talked. You kind of it, it's a self perpetuating kind of marketing strategy where yeah, people correct. are going. This is awesome. You said yep. during that period, that first eighteen months, Anthony, that beyond navy contracts and sales, you were doing a lot of B two C sales. Did, did you? What did you get? A little e commerce side up and running. Yeah, we we had the e-commerce site up. It was working well. A lot of it was around education. If you give anybody a torsion mm-hmm. bar, they'll stand there and do bicep curls. But a lot of it was around the education on how to use the product, thinking outside the box. So that's what we started to really focus on. And that's where we started to build out our, our YouTube channel and courses. So now you've got awesome. kind of level one, level two courses on the torsion bars. How does a bloke who's, again, come out of school, done 11 years in the Navy, know that? To me, that's an obvious marketing strategy, but hey, I'm in marketing. How do you go, this needs education, this needs a YouTube channel, this needs, you know, we need to show people how to use it? To be honest, I was just listening to the people who were using it. That's what they're asking for. And so we just gave it to them. That was it. Um, so, <laughs> and and it. when you put it like that, it's, it seems pretty simple, but it's I think it's funny because not a lot of people do that. Yeah. <laughs> you might have, it's your product, it's your baby, this is the way it has to be done. Yeah. But it's like, well, hold up, who's paying the bills? <laughs> Give them what they want. <laughs> so I, it I, works. Mate, you are talking my language uh, in my mm. book, The Boomerang Effect, which is all about being helpful in your marketing. One of the things I suggest is as business owners, have your marketing, I call it your helpful marketing radar on, which is listen to the questions that your customers and your clients are asking and go about, because if they're asking them, there'll be other people asking them as well, then go about answering them on a YouTube channel or a blog or a podcast. And you, it's pretty simple, isn't it? You've got your e-commerce site up. I'm guessing people aren't searching for torsion bars. So how are you getting found? That's where we used um, actually social media. We used uh, influencers. We had a lot of people that in the health and fitness space that were social media influencers that were looking for products to essentially to solve the issues that they had with running their own boot camps. Now, those issues were the same as mine, transportation, ease of use, 
something that's not going to rust and was designed for the indoors, it's something that they could use outdoors and take in and out of the water as well. So there was a lot of things that they were looking for. So when they were looking for the product, they would stumble across us. So we'd get inundated with with requests for product for exposure. And exposure was exactly what we needed at that time. And we had, certainly had a lot of product, which was great. We just finished off our manufacturing. Um, we had two new containers arrive in Australia and we fit around 2,500 units per container, essentially 22 tonne for a container. So it's right on the mm-hmm. limits. I was being solid steel, it's one of the paints. But that's what we needed. So we started to really put our foot into influencer marketing and... We weren't too sure. A lot of it, to be honest, was kind of FOMO. We're like, okay, we'll see other guys doing it. I read an article here and there about the success. And then I read another article on the same day about the failures, but let's give it a go. So that's what we did. And it worked. It worked really well. There's influencer marketing and there is influencer marketing. The stuff that doesn't work is you've sent it to someone with influence and hope like hell that they publish yeah. something about your product or service. What was your what is your secret sauce to making influence mar- influence marketing work? Now or then? Very different. Uh, I'm going to say then because I know you've then? actually started a business around influence marketing which we'll get yep. to but back then. Uh, back then it was honestly there wasn't too much. It was just a lot of trial and error. Um, mm. it was we would look at the look at the person's account if they if they said that they run a boot camp, boot camp, did they run a boot camp? It was just more verifying what they were what they were selling us. Um, and once you'd established their credentials, did you then say, "Hey, can I have your address? I want to send you some product." Pretty much, yeah, yeah. We'd send them some product. We needed some content for our own socials, uh, so they'd create the content for us. We'd run kind of collaborative workouts together um, just to engage the community as well, which worked really well. But other than that, it, there wasn't too much in it. That that was about <laughs> it. Don't you love the simplicity of business? Yeah. I think one. I, I'm guessing one of the things that the army, the the navy has taught you is just clarity of thought and not, you know, overcomplicating things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um the the biggest things I've taken from the navy would be it's just make sure you've got all your intel there, and then once that intel bucket is full and as accurate as possible, then make your decisions because obviously those decisions are going to be influenced by your intel. Um, mm. And if it's not right, then the decision's probably going to be wrong. You're not big on gut feel, I'm guessing? <laughs> um, no, it still comes into it. Yeah, it right. definitely still comes into it. Sometimes the intel could be good, but it's... And, and the decision could be to go down this path. Everything mm. in theory and on paper says to do that. And to be honest, a lot of the gut feel for me just comes when I'm working with people. Um, like I'll absolutely work with a person over um, what they can offer the business. If they've got the mm. best, the best looking offer on paper, but... I'd probably choose different words here because we're on a podcast. But Go for gold, mate. Don't <laughs> but, let the but, podcast but if, get in the way. <laughs> if, they're, but, if they're dickheads. If they're dickheads, absolutely. If he's a dick, you're not going to work with him. Like 100% do business with people. So yeah. at the end of the day, if, it's, if it has worked out how you planned and you and both of you wanted it to or you haven't, on Friday afternoon you still have a beer and go, wow, that yes. didn't work. But what can yeah. we do next week to change it? Um, whereas there, if the person's not right, you can't do it. You can't do it. There is a very large, one of the world's biggest advertising agencies based out of London and on their terms of service when they sign up a new client and they don't use the word dickhead, they use a much harsher <laughs> word, but it says yeah. clause three, no dickheads. Yeah, right? nice, nice. <laughs> we should totally. build that in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like it, I like it. Uh, you've got a, a, a sea container in year two of 22 million tonne of torsion bars. I'm guessing you had fairly rapid growth. How did you finance that? It was actually all bootstrapped. So the first container that I bought in to Australia, when you order the the product from overseas, you pay a 30% deposit and you pay 70% to release the goods uh, and then it ships in. 
Now that's seventy percent. Like I was short. I, I didn't have the seventy percent. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm like, I need this. I've kind of done some pre-sales to fill the gap. What's enough? I needed. From memory, it was about three and a half grand or something like that. So here comes Uber. <laughs> I can Uber. <laughs> so yeah, right. uh, Uber looked good. Didn't have to pay tax at the time. Everything was paid gross. Uh, it gets deposited in my bank on the Monday. I needed to pay by Thursday. So Uber became my job for for a little bit, uh, and oh, I just started Ubering. Wow, okay, I got Ubered. it. Ubered for probably longer than you probably should. Just kind of three yep. days straight and just Ubered and Ubered, Ubered. Um, made like four, four and a bit grand. Got paid on Monday. I could pay the guys on the Thursday and I got I got the container, which worked well. Mate, that is such so. an awesome story. That's so mm. inspiring. Yeah, it, was, it worked well. Was it, a, as, um, uh, was it a hard decision? Was there any pride involved? It was like, hey, anything no. to get this happening. No, it had actually, Uber had popped up in my mind previously because I, I was still in that, in that fit kind of, frame of mind where now obviously I'm a bit, it's, a, it's a radio show so we can't really see but um, definitely not as fit as what I used to be um, but then I was like oh, I, I might not drink this weekend the guys are probably going to go out but what can I do other than just sit at home so an Uber was really pushing then so I'm like I'm going to just go Uber driving cruise around and make some money and meet some Often, interesting people and it well, I was going to say did you meet any business contacts because I've spoken to other Uber drivers and you know it's been an awesome way to network it, I actually did. It was it was funny. Um, I haven't I haven't said touch. Uh, we did for a little while, but it was it was the guy who made um, the Tangle Teaser, the hairbrush. Sean, I believe his name is. Right. Um, and yeah, it was interesting. I just kind of picked him up, dropped him off at an art gallery, and, and that was it. Um, and met his assistant. They were lovely people. But mm-hmm. it was just funny how who you meet in that in those kind of uh, instances. No doubt. Mm. The torsion bar appeals to many different groups. Uh, You've you got the, the home user, the military, you've got gyms, you've got physios, health practitioners. Did you have marketing strategies that targeted each of those and spoke to them in their language or they just found you and the rest is history? Yeah, we, we did. And to be honest, in the beginning, it was quite, let's target them all and see which ones really bite. And then the, the strategy in terms of length was quite short because we really wanted to assess that. And then we, the ones that would bite and would have the best return, they're the ones we targeted. Um, we found that the commercial gyms, some would work really well, but they had to be quite forward-thinking gyms, not a lot of red tape, because it was a very, very new product. If we're looking at kind of the, the larger international gyms, um, there's a lot of red tape in there and you've got to align with their budget. So in that instance, we spent a lot of time in targeting these guys with no real return. But when it was right for them, then they would come and knock on our door. So we just okay. needed to be ready there and still front of mind. And that, that was it. I know you're not uh, running the business anymore day to day. Just give us a sense though of where Torsion Bar, the Torsion Bar business is at. We're still growing. I'm still really happy with everything. Um, we're actually just about to, uh, we have rebranded to Ausfit Tactical um, before it was Ausfit Torsion Bars. Um, and that's in preparation to bring on new products. We're the only ones doing Torsion Bars. We, we always get kind of copycats and stuff always popping up. That, that happens probably once every every eight months to, to a year, I guess. And then they just drop off, which is fine. And then- Why do they uh, drop off? Because I was going to talk, I want to talk to you about copycats. It looks like, sure. it looks like yep. uh, with, with all respect, a pretty easy product to copy. Hundred uh, percent. Yep. And so I imagine the copycats would have shown themselves pretty quickly. I've spoken to other business owners who who this has happened to. I mean, what business doesn't experience copycats? Um, most of them ignore them and continue to tell their own story and get on with business. Is that what you did, or were you sending out letters of cease and desist, or what were you doing? Essentially, it was just ignoring the whole time. We we only sent one letter. That was it. 
and that that got resolved pretty quickly. Uh, and the only reason that happened was because as we spent a lot of time and effort and research and development of the caps, especially, they just copied the cap straight away. And we, we had a design patent on it, so it was, and we'd spent a lot of money on it. So we decided to to send the letter and and, and obviously end that, um, mm-hmm. which worked pretty well. But honestly, a lot of the time, no, we, we kind of, it'll pop up on our radar. Somebody will mention it and say, oh, have you seen this? We'll see it and be like, oh, that's that's cool. Nice. Mm-hmm. Fair play. Like we, it's, it's like, I think any business, like you go to war kind of nine to five, but at the end, at, at five past five, you should be able to sit down and, and have a plain conversation, have a beer, kind of mm. chat business, but you're out of that kind of that competition. Um, and that's the way I looked at it, uh, which worked well. Mm. But no, we, we, we rarely get the, the copycats that last. And I think that's the reason why, as you mentioned, it's a very simple product to produce when you look at it. But once you actually dive into how it's made and then what makes it an Ausfit torsion bar, it's very, very hard to maintain and actually very hard to perfect. Um, yeah, it takes a long okay. time. So, And then when they realize that, they drop off. Um, we've had a lot of actually large international manufacturers uh, say, we've seen this and we, we've actually tried to make it and no. So can we do a deal? <laughs> Have you had <laughs> any happens. offers uh, to buy? Uh, no, no. Why? No, not, not yet. Um, I'm not sure. I think, I'm honestly not sure. Haven't given it any thought. No. I, I, I like it. I like the business. Yeah. I honestly wouldn't sell it. It's Maybe just, your energy is works. such that that's that's yeah. that's closed. It's not it's not even on the table. So possibly, yeah. yeah. Keep, keep away. Yep. Yes. You, you've yeah. decided to double down on the military, add more products to the business. Why? We we found that because we're the only ones doing torsion bars, we had a lot of these clients where they were commercial military home gym, um, and especially home gym more recently with COVID, coming to us for torsion bars, but they may want some other products as well. So they'd come to us for the torsion bars and then leave to go get the other products. So the the, the, the issue was was that we were only getting 10% of that overall deal. So we need to capitalize on, on as much of that deal as we can um, mm. by supplying those other products. Yeah, okay. Yep. COVID, I imagine, has been very good to torsion bars because the whole at home, get fit, can't go to the gym. And I went to your website. You are out of stock until August. Yes. It's amazing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. Um, it's, it worked really well, but geez, it went so quick. It was amazing. I just wish we had a lot more product in, yeah. in there. It, uh, and because we're running low to begin with as well. But even now, our back orders that, that, uh, that are there, so our next, our next shipment comes in the 17th of August, and that's probably about... 50%, 60% sold already. Wow. Uh, so it's just going to be a backlog, a consistent backlog, I think. So you're taking orders right now, pre-purchase, you're offering, oh, I think it was 10% discount for new signups. So you yeah. just kind of, uh, that's really interesting that people are like thinking ahead and you're already that fu- that sold out. Have you got yeah. another order in? Uh, we're actually just about, <laughs> we're chatting about that this morning. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, is that if you're looking at the the other products that every every other manufacturer makes and, and every other gym retailer sells being kettlebells and dumbbells, they're, they're not being, they're not taking, the manufacturers aren't taking new orders until next year. So these guys are going to have to start to look for other products to sell um, that aren't those two. Yeah, okay. Um, so we're trying to preparing me, for that. Uh, about 10 years ago, I had the guy who brought kettlebells to Australia on this show. Oh, really? Yeah, sure. Yeah, quite yeah. a fun interview actually. Is it uh, uh, Dave Tabain? I can't remember his name. Dave? Yeah, he was um, very funny. Yeah, was yeah that's probably him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, just on on the just to finish that co- that COVID conversation, it's it had a very interesting impact on your business. You've reduced your office size, closed one office, but taken a lease out 
on another office out of the city in Sydney because tell us why. Uh, a few reasons actually, and this kind of goes into the other the marketing business um, that we're chatting about. So it's actually going to be a separate business altogether. A lot of the things I found with with Ausfit were we had our we had our warehouse, we had our three PL, we had our offices, and then if we needed to do any any content shoots, we needed to go hire a studio, wherever that was. So there was many segments of the business that were very separate geographically, and to keep those separate and on third party premises, it, it cost a lot. So. We were at uh, a Watso actually in, in Piemont and it worked really well. But the issue was, was that it works well if you're mainly at like a service-based business, if you're, or if you're just run uh, maybe like, like software or something like that, or you just needed meeting rooms. But what we needed was a, an office where we could store, we could fulfill our orders. Uh, we had a studio. So essentially that's what we're creating down there. Uh, it, it's one large, one large office space with a, with a cyclorama, with a studio, with a dedicated 3PL person um, and what's, 320. What's 3PL? Third party logistics. Got it. Yep. yep. Roger that. Roger, yep. roger. Clearance, clearance. <laughs> I love it. You get a job uh, in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, now, okay. So now three years on... Torsion bars is going beautifully. What was the Ausfit uh, tactical? Ausfit tactical going yep. beautifully. You've yep. stepped away, and you're no have, longer working on it nine to five. Tell us no. about that decision. What day of the week was it, and why? Uh, that one was let's just say a Monday. I'm going to okay. make that up. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, after a long, after a big weekend. Yeah, big weekend. I'm like, oh, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> um, no, I, I decided to. Um, a lot of it came down to just time allocation. A, a few, I, I get a million ideas pop into my head uh, every every day. Like it's, it's crazy the the amount of options and that I could take in terms of, oh, this would be a good business, or here's an opportunity. But obviously, making them work is is time. Um, million and, uh, ideas for other businesses. Yeah, yeah. So, right. and a lot of them I just got to obviously put on the back burner or just completely forget about. So, but anyway, a part of the the, the marketing strategy that we had with our influencer marketing was essentially just putting your hand in the wind and hoping kind of you knew which direction to go and, and, and kind of fumbling around for some sort of outcome with that was just not the way we wanted to go ahead with our marketing, especially with influencers. We looked around to see, okay, well, how can we create some rigor and a little bit more transparency in what the influencer is going to offer us and how can we verify that offer and then how can we forecast some sort of outcome? Um, especially for investment as the investment started to turn from just a couple of bars through to thousands of dollars. Um, and that's where we had to get quite serious about it. So we looked at the products that were on the market and a lot of it was, this was right Cambridge Analytica time. So we're looking at kind of June, July, August, oh, yeah. 2018. Um, so data privacy and security is, is utmost importance. And the API for Instagram had just been shut off because of Cambridge. So we were looking around and a lot of people Can were just Can you just explain what data. that means for the great unwashed? Like yeah, that. sure. So essentially the API is um, essentially the, the backdoor into the into the platform and the platform being Instagram. So that allowed third-party products to access a certain amount of information. Back then it was quite easy. So those, those third-party products could access data on any account. They could just put it in uh, and request that data to come back. Post-Cambridge, a thing called an authentication token had to be granted. So the person who owned that account had to recognize the third party trying to gain access and had to say yes or no, essentially. Um, hmm. I give you permission to view this data set, which is brilliant. It's the best thing that so, could happen. So this idea was big enough in your mind to leave after three years a business that's still growing. Hey, it's doing well in torsion bars, but it's, you know, it's early days. Yeah. Yep. What inspired you so much to walk away from that? It sounds like you're still involved. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still involved. Um, I don't run the day to day. Yeah, no, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still there. I do pretty much every Wednesday is my Ausfit day, and then I'll dedicate that. And then everything else is, is just ran through uh, Alex, our GM. Um, okay. So he, he runs that. Um, and this social influencer business that you started, weird name. First question: Q eighty three. Yeah, <laughs> it was a it was a table number uh, when I was in LA doing Torch and Buster. <laughs> I needed a name. I was writing the feasibility document, so right. um, I, my table number would do that work. <laughs> and uh, I was actually right. <laughs> I was actually saying that in a demonstration when I got asked the same question. Yeah. And a guy across the other side of the room in this big open plan office just spun around on his chair and he's like, "It's the best thing I've ever heard." <laughs> and just got back to his desk. <laughs> so it's, uh, it was pretty funny. Um, Are you happy with the night? I am actually. I am. It works. There's a lot of change about to happen with Q83. So we're, we're actually just about to um, launch two new products. So mm-hmm. Q83 became a lot, obviously focusing on what I needed to fix for, for Ausfit, being authentication um, and value transparency. And then we wanted to focus on uh, essentially workflows for, for massive influence marketing agencies, for creative agencies, for, for everybody. But we, we took a lot of our learnings from 2018, August 2018, when we founded Q83, all the way through to now. And we learn a lot, both here in Australia, in the UK, quite a lot of success in the UK. We've got a large large investor in the UK, a large media company actually acquired 20% of Q83 when it was only 12 months old. Um, well done. So it worked, it worked really, really well. But I think it's our philosophy and what we're trying to achieve as a collective with them is quite different to what's in the market. Uh, so that's where we're just actually about to launch an app called Kitly and a, an agency uh, offering called Kitly Business. And it's 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 aimed to Kidley was what, the name of the restaurant where Q eighty three. No, no, it's uh, this one was was essentially focusing on media kits. So we oh, wanted yeah. to take the rigor and and what the lessons learned essentially of, of twenty years of digital and push that into social. There's no difference. It's just you've got an influencer who is essentially a social publisher, but they don't have a building in the city where they wear many hats. They get everything done, but they still need the same amount of rigor in terms of a a third-party authenticated uh, media kit to prove that the the metrics that they put in there are realistic and are accurate. So if I'm a brand or an agency and I'm casting this individual for uh, a campaign that's a half-million-dollar campaign, I need to make sure that I'm going to get the results that I've promised for my client. And by just basing that off followers and then engagement, it's not going to get you there. So making sure that the actual reach of the grid content, Instagram specifically here, is going to get you there. So of half a million followers, they may be only reaching 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and of those people in their stories, they may only be reaching 200. But if you think by paying them kind of thousands of thousands of dollars, you're going to yes. be reaching half a million people. You're kidding yourself. 100%. Do you yep. wish you'd started in business earlier? Well, my first business was actually when I was 16. I had Lemonade a- Lemonade stand? A, no, mobile mower servicing. Of course. Yep, yep. I did a, a small a course on small engines um, and actually worked at a service station in, in Wagga and it was an old style service station where uh, I was the attendant. I'd go out and I'd, f- I'd fuel the car and half the time my job was to get these old dirty lawnmowers out of these nice Mercedes and drag them into the workshop and I'm like, why don't you just go to their house? And he's like, oh, they'll just bring them here, it's fine. So I just got some tools and put them in a bag and just rode around because I didn't have my license <laughs> and I'd go there, fix the lawnmower and then mow the lawn for an extra 20 bucks. So 100 bucks, you get a lawnmower service and your lawn mowed, done. Excellent. <laughs> and then I got fired from the lawnmower, from the station because I took all the business. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You were cutting his grass, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yep, yep. Wow. How long do you think you'll be able to uh, last with Q83 before the next big idea comes along and distracts you? 
No, I, I'm in this one for the long haul. Yeah, good. this one's well, you've got this a 20% really good. Share, you've, got a, you've got a 20% shareholder now, so you've got to be good. Yeah, you've got to be yeah focused. exactly. That's right, that's right. And Anthony, it's an awesome story, mate. Thanks for sharing. Torsion bars, I love the fact that you've kind of just added value to something that was kind of a little bit mundane. Uh, wonder what else we could do that with. But uh, I'll watch with interest. Ausfittactical.com.au is where people will go or to q-83.com, I guess, if you want to find out more about Anthony Richardson. Well, there you go, team. Torsion Bar founder, Anthony Richardson. Here's what grabbed my attention from that chat. Attention grabber number one. I loved how Anthony turned a dirty old piece of suspension from an all-terrain vehicle into a polished fitness brand. Very, very clever indeed. What have you got lying around that you could turn into a brand? Not a bad question to ask. Attention grabber number two. I love how he went after the Pentagon as a client and got them. Certainly, my business many years ago started with a big client, a big corporate client, and if you are a small business, a micro business, then easier said than done, but maybe put a list together of 10 or 20 big clients that you'd absolutely love to work with and let the universe take care of the rest. Well, you got to roll your sleeves up as well. Attention grabber number three. I love how Anthony's using YouTube to promote and educate his prospects and users on how to get the most from their torsion bars. We talk a lot about video marketing on this show. I get it. But don't forget, YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world and it is owned by Google. That's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 514 and let me know. It's Timbo's Monster Prize Draw. It's time to reward another motivated listener for taking some serious marketing action. They've simply emailed me. This is all they've done. They've emailed me, tim at timreed.com.au, shared one idea they've picked up from this podcast and what impact it's had on their business. And now they're getting a little bit of promotion and some prizes. Today's incredibly intelligent winner is... Michael Pinter of Linear Constructions. Now, Michael has written me a very long email, which I am not going to read out, but I am going to post in the show notes because he describes uh, a strategy that's really worked quite well for him, but he's uh, also shared another shorter strategy that's working well for him. He says, hi, Timbo, I have made huge changes and implemented a great many things covered in your podcast. Fundamentally, the biggest challenge and what seemed the most counterintuitive at the time was to niche my business down. Going from a general builder that took on any type of work to now being design and construct only on residential builds. As Seth Godin said in your interview, and he quotes, there is not one business that has succeeded appealing to everyone. Mass is completely dead. The most successful reaches a couple of percentage points. We need to matter and it's surprising how few people we have to matter to, end quote. That was a great chat with Seth. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. But clearly, uh, Michael has realised the power of niching down. Michael, well done to you. Lineaconstructions.com.au is where you can find Michael. He has won an entire range of Liars non-alcoholic spirits valued at over 500 bucks. $75 coupon code to buy a torsion bar. 
He'll be able to get a bit fit. He's a builder, so I imagine he's got pretty big guns anyway. Bonjoro license, $50 sendle voucher, $100 tradie voucher, some Mr. Lee's noodles, promotion on this show, and a backlink in the show notes. Everyone else, send me an email, tim at timreed.com.au. If I read it out on air, you win. Couple of things before we call it quits. Feel free to leave me your feedback over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 514, where you can also grab a copy of my book. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, then you'll find well over 500 more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app. Next time around, we have a very raw and very honest discussion with social media influencer Chelsea Thomas, who recently closed, an incredible story, she closed a hugely successful business after it basically, well, got the better of her. She had a bit of a breakdown and she reveals all. It's a great story, very inspiring story. If you're getting value from listening, then please let other business owners know about the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast, which was presented by me, Timbo Reid, and incredibly well put together by the exuberant team over at Podcast One Australia. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now.